We have spent almost three months in here considering the Bible as the story of God. And this month, we have been spending some extra time in Act 5, the church, the proclaimed kingdom. Act 5 is where we are right now. The curtains have been opened and the spotlights are on and now God's church is on stage. That's you and me and we've got lines to say and we've got important parts to play in God's great epic salvation story. And until Jesus returns to inaugurate the sixth and final act of God's story, we're on stage right now to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've tried to boil down that good news to just three lines, and here they are. Jesus is Lord, God is fixing everything, and you need to get in on it. That's how we've kind of boiled it down, and I think that's, that's the essence of the gospel, and that's what we proclaim, and that means every single thing we do as a church needs to proclaim that Two weeks ago, we talked about how the Holy Spirit gives us the power we need to make that proclamation with our lips, with the words we say. And then last Sunday, we talked about how the proclamation is made by our Holy Spirit lives, by the, the way we live our lives as individual disciples of Christ. And now today, we're going to wrap up this whole series by considering church as the Holy Spirit community. How we behave together as a church is a proclamation of the kingdom of God. God's church is a community of faith living in a certain way that stands out from the world and proclaims to the world a different reality. It's like if you have four or five American families living in a place like Germany and they come together to celebrate July 4th. Or maybe a couple of American families who live in Africa come together on the first Sunday in February to watch the Super Bowl together, you know? I mean, nobody else around them is doing it. Hardly anybody else around them really understands it. But because they're Americans and because of the way they were born and raised, because of their own unique culture, because of their values and their identity as Americans, that's what they do. I've told you before, that one awful year that Carrie Ann and I spent in Memphis, Tennessee, you know, I found myself listening to ZZ Top and Stevie Ray Vaughan more and wearing my Texas Rangers and Dallas Mavericks shirts more. And I wouldn't let anybody put coleslaw on top of my barbecue sandwich. Why? Because I'm a Texan. I may be living in Tennessee, but I know who I am and I know what's right. And so that, that's kind of the deal here with the church. And so let's, let's look at that this morning. The, the church proclaiming the kingdom of God as a Holy Spirit community. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. If we're going to talk about the church, we've got to start in Acts chapter 2. And I want us to notice right out of the gate that God's church is born by the Holy Spirit's initiation. God's church was started by the Holy Spirit. Verse 1, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now remember, this is not just the 12 apostles. This is all the disciples of Jesus together in this room. The middle of uh, Acts chapter 1 tells us it's about 120 of them, men and women. They're all meeting together. Verse 2 says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire 
that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, the next six or seven verses talk about the fact that there are God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They're in Jerusalem. And there's a list of all the countries and regions and all the people from all over the known world. And they're all hearing the proclamation of the good news in their own language. Verse 17, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Verse 18, even on my servants, both men and women, they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, verse 21, will be saved. Repent and be baptized, verse 38, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The Spirit of God is creating a brand new community here. A brand new community of all peoples and all nations and all languages brought together by God's Spirit. This is a brand new thing here. But if you know the story of God, you could see it coming a mile away. You could see this coming even in the beginning of God's promises in Act 3 to Abraham. Remember, God calls Israel and he saves Israel, not for Israel's sake, but so they can be a light to all the nations. And Israel failed miserably. They became more like the nations they were supposed to be converting. And so God punishes them, sends Israel away into exile, but he kept making the same promise. One of these days, I'm going to bring you back. One of these days, I'm going to put you back together, and I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be able to do what you were always called to do in the first place. That's what's happening here at Pentecost. It's just that it's much bigger and more inclusive than anybody ever thought. It's the story of God, right? You, you can connect the dots here, right? What God is doing at Pentecost is he's reversing the curse of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember at the end of Act 2 in the story of God, the sin, the crash? What God is doing here at Pentecost undoes what happened at Babel. What happened at Babel resulted in all the people of the earth being scattered and divided all over the world. And they were separated by their languages, but now at Pentecost, God is gathering all people. It's just the opposite. He's bringing all people together. And by the Holy Spirit, he has eradicated the language barrier. So the walls that divide the human race, now they're gone. And the whole world is being transformed now by the kingdom of God. God is bringing people back together. And he is bringing them back together to him and also to one another. And the church proclaims that good news we proclaim that jesus is lord and god is fixing everything when we practice this exact same kind of holy spirit reconciliation second corinthians 5 says if anyone is in christ there's a new creation the old has gone now the new has come all of this is from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us 
the message of reconciliation. Now, the Greek word for reconciliation here is a political term. And it means a peace treaty that erases hostility and creates harmony between former enemies. Paul is saying, hey, the church is sent by God to declare a message to the enemies of God. And the message is, you're not my enemies anymore. God has called a truce. God has established a peace treaty between himself and all people. Remember Romans 5? While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled back to God through the death of his son. That's what this is. And we are therefore, look at verse 20, Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Ambassador here, you know that's a diplomatic term. And so it's the kingdom of God, Jesus as Lord, and the church as representatives of that kingdom. We are the kingdom of God's communications department, okay? We're the PR. And we are charged with carrying the good news of reconciliation to all people. Peace is the message. The message is about the peace of Christ that brings peace between people and God and between people with each other. Ephesians chapter 2, we read part of this during our welcome and call to worship. But Ephesians 2 says, you were once separated from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You are without hope. You are without God in this world. But now, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. Say that. Peace. Peace. That is such a powerful word, right? He himself is our peace. He has made us one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create, say it, peace, right? This is straight out of Ephesians 2. To reconcile us to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached, say it, peace to you who were far away and Peace to those who were near. For through him we all have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens. You are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's house. Somebody say amen. amen. Our Lord Jesus takes the barriers. He takes the hostilities that exist between people. And he takes all of that into himself. In his own body, in his flesh, it says, he abolishes it. He destroys it forever. And then in himself, again, in his flesh, he creates one new people. Perfectly reconciled to God and to one another. And the best way for us to proclaim that is to live it. To practice what we preach. And by God's grace, I think we do a pretty good job of that around here at this church, at GCR. I really do. We know that all baptized confessors of Jesus as Lord are our brothers and sisters. We know that. And we are actively doing our best to tear down the denominational walls that divide the Christians here in Midland. Because we believe, just like it says in Colossians 3, that in Christ there is no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, no Methodist, Presbyterians, no Baptist or churches of Christ. Right? Because why? Christ is all and is in all. Amen. That's what we believe. That's why 
Next month, February 22nd, Ash Wednesday, we're going to be worshiping at First Methodist. First Methodist, First Baptist, First Presbyterian, and the Golf Course Road Church of Christ. We're going to meet at First Methodist, and we're going to worship on Ash Wednesday together. Why? Because when we worship and serve together with other groups of Christians in our city, that is a proclamation to the whole world that Jesus is Lord. Not me, not GCR. Jesus is Lord, and God's kingdom is here, and everything's new. Everything's different, right? Okay, fine. Amen. Praise God, right? If y'all are going to do that, it needs to be a little better than that, okay? I, you don't have to do that. It buys me a little time here. Come on, Ruth, get us going. All right. That, you love that, don't you? Well, just hold on, okay? We're getting there. Because here's something else I think we need to consider. When's the last time we had over a thousand people in our worship center here at GCR? When was that? Ten years ago? A thousand people in our worship center. When's the last time? Fifteen years ago? More than that? You're wrong. It was last month, December 6th. Over 1,000 Cuban refugees inside our worship center to receive the federal assistance and the resources they need as they relocate to our city. That's interesting, isn't it? How many of us have prayed for years that God would bring more people to GCR and that our worship center would be full again? How many of us? It happened last month. Not the way you thought it was going to happen, but it happened. Doesn't that feel like something a God of reconciliation would be doing? Doesn't that look like something the Holy Spirit of the day of Pentecost would be involved with? Last Monday, I was invited to a meeting with 11 other Midland pastors with our new mayor, Lori Blong, to talk specifically about the influx of Cuban refugees into this city. Right now, there are more than 3,200 Cuban refugees who are living inside the city limits of Midland, and more than a third of them were inside our building last month. Now, I don't know what to do with this. Honestly, I don't. I don't even know if it's possible to effectively evangelize and integrate that many Spanish-speaking Cuban refugees into a church like ours. I don't know. It would be incredibly difficult to effectively do something significantly with this. There are cultural barriers. There are language issues. There are social and economic uh, hurdles there. It might be impossible. But the reality of the kingdom of God, listen to me. The reality of the lordship of Jesus compels us to at least pay attention to something like this. Can I get an amen? At least we should be paying attention to this. Breaking down walls, eradicating barriers, bringing diverse groups of people together in Jesus. That's the message. And we proclaim that when we practice reconciliation. We also proclaim that when we keep our Holy Spirit fellowship. Now, I wasn't born on a church pew, but I got to one as fast as I could. Okay? Whenever God's people come together in the name of Jesus, I want to be there. And we, we call that being at church every time the doors are open. And that's me. 
okay? And that's my family. Always has been, always will be. Whenever God's people put aside their differences and lay down their preferences to come together as a family and worship God and serve each other, the realities of the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus are being experienced and they're being proclaimed. I don't want to miss something like that. If the doors are open and God's people are coming together, I want to be there, right? We come together as a family. Go back to Acts 2. I'm going to read the, the part that Ryan read to us around the table a few minutes ago. You know this almost by memory probably. This is the first church, right? This, this, is, this is our DNA. This is how God's people were established in, uh, after the resurrection of Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the koinonia, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything, koinonia, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Listen, we are joined together. We do life together. Say that word together. Say that together, right? We consider the needs of others more important than our own together, right? We bear one another's burdens. Say it together, right? We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. Say it together, right? God's Holy Spirit has brought us together, male and female, millennials and boomers, those of us born and raised in the churches of Christ and those of us who have no idea what that means, right? Traditional worshipers and contemporary worshipers, meat eaters and vegetarians, white collar bankers and blue collar roughnecks who make more money than the bankers, right? <laughs> Cowboys fans and 49ers fans and whoever else the Cowboys are playing, right? I mean, we're all brought together by God's Holy Spirit. And we are brought together as a holy family. And then we're told by the Holy Spirit, you need to treat each other the exact same way God treats you. Colossians chapter 3. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Church, the way we love each other and the way we take care of each other in here proclaims out there how we think God has dealt with us and how we think God should deal with others. The way we love each other and take care of each other in here proclaims that the kingdom of God has arrived and Jesus really is Lord. And everything's different now. Everything's changed. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Romans 15 says, accept one another as Christ accepted you. In John 13, Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know you belong to me. By what, Jesus? If you love one another. The way we treat each other has far-reaching implications for our proclamation as a church. 
And I'll say for the most part, I think we do a pretty good job of that here at the GCR church. We do. My family and I, we have been loved and accepted and forgiven and supported by our brothers and sisters in this church family beyond our craziest expectations. And I'm looking around this room. I can see four or five of you right now who just in the last few months have been accepted and forgiven and loved and supported by your brothers and sisters in this church family when you thought nobody in the world would ever love you and accept you and forgive you and support you. And that's holy and it's sacred and it's beautiful and it's righteous and it is good. When we introduce a new member to our church family, you know what we do. Usually we're over there. But we say it to this new member, right? This new family. We say it. Hey, we're not perfect, but you belong to us, and we belong to you now. And we're going to love you. And we're going to do our best to support you and encourage you and say good things about you and give you the benefit of the doubt. And we're going to live and worship and serve together in the kingdom of God. And all of us always say, amen. Why? That's important. It's important. It matters. And so when the opposite of that happens in our church, we need to address it. We need to call it out. We need to take care of it. And it pains me to have to say this. But here we go. Two weeks ago, somebody in our church family sent an anonymous letter to another member of our church family. And the letter was accusatory, it was judgmental, it was condemning, and it was nasty. And the anonymous author of this letter claimed to be representing, quote, a large group of women of all ages who thought it best to write a letter. And the letter contained a lot of phrases like this, uh, many women, and our group, and so many people. And it was not a nice letter. And again, it was anonymous. And this kind of thing has happened a few times a few years ago in this church. And our elders have addressed it straight up. Our elders have said publicly, we don't read anonymous letters. Let me say something more this morning. Church, we don't write anonymous letters. Amen. We don't do it. And I don't want to be misunderstood on this, okay? I want to be just as clear as I can be. There is no circumstance. There is no situation that makes it okay in our church family to write an anonymous letter. An anonymous letter in which you attack a sister in Christ and you accuse her of wrongdoing and you question her Christian character and her Christian integrity and then you don't sign it? That is anti-relationship. That is anti-community, which makes that decidedly anti-Christ and anti-Christian. Letters like that only have one purpose, and that is to intimidate and bully. And they only have one result, and that is pain and hurt. The person who received this letter is totally devastated. And I would be too if I got that same letter. She's been <laughs> second-guessing for the last two weeks whether she even belongs in this church family. She can't even walk into this room without wondering how many people in here don't like me? How many people in here don't want me to be a part of their church? An anonymous letter is a tool of Satan. 
It sows doubt and fear. It creates distance and it inflicts pain. An anonymous letter like that comes from a place of darkness, not light. And it does not do anything to draw people near. It does everything to push people away. It's not from the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, right at the end of the chapter. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths or your pens or your laptops. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God. I don't know who wrote the letter. Be imitators of God. God would never write you a letter and not sign it. Never. As dearly loved children, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. I'm telling you, writing anonymous letters is not what happens in a family of God who've been brought together as brothers and sisters in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. And the one who wrote it, you need to repent and you need to make things right. And you know what? There will be love and there will be grace and there will be forgiveness and there will be reconciliation. You know why? Because we're Christians. That's what we do. Why? Again, because maintaining our fellowship with love and peace with each other is such an important part of the church's proclamation. In fact, the Holy Spirit community that we share together, that is the proclamation. When we love one another and serve one another, when we put aside our preferences for the sake of one another, when we forgive and accept and love and encourage when we live the way together God's Holy Spirit calls us to, that leads directly to the spread of the message. It's causation. It's correlation. It's all of that. They're intimately related. When the church behaves properly and lives together in the Spirit, that is the proclamation. Go back to that Acts 2 one more time. And look at the last line of Acts chapter 2. They're devoted to one another. They're enjoying fellowship, koinonia. They've got everything in common, selling their possessions and goods every day, meeting together, worshiping together, eating together. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had with great power. They continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. Acts chapter 5, all the believers met together in Solomon's colonnade. They were highly regarded by the people and more and more women and men believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts chapter 6, there's a ton of these. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 9, right in the middle of the chapter, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Acts chapter 16, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. Listen, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God and the Lordship of Jesus, it spreads rapidly and it spreads with Holy Spirit fire when the church is behaving properly. 
when the church's life together in the Holy Spirit is in tune and in step with the Holy Spirit, the message spreads and the church grows. Jesus said, I love this. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like, and then everybody listening to Jesus back then thought, oh, I know the kingdom of God. It's power and it's influence and it's numbers and it's force and it's strength and it's asserting our rights and it's finally getting our way. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The kingdom of God is like a little old lady. Kingdom of God is like a woman mixing yeast into the dough until it permeates the entire lump. What's Jesus saying? He's not saying the kingdom of God is about taking something little and making it big. He's not saying the kingdom of God is about mixing two things together. He's saying the kingdom of God is like taking the qualities of the yeast and then encrypting them into the flour until it becomes something totally new. Until it becomes something completely different. New creation. in just a little bit at a time, you know. A little act of grace over here. A little act of mercy over there. An act of forgiveness in that situation. A little act of sacrificial love in that circumstance. Just a little bit at a time, consistently, until the world around us is completely changed. Totally different. And we proclaim that when we live it. Remember Robin Williams' line? We've, we've, we've talked about this a couple of times in Dead Poets Society. The great play? The great play goes on. I don't think play's the right word. I've messed it up. The great play goes on and you may contribute a verse. The Holy Spirit would say, you must contribute a verse. You must. I got to hear Thomas Long, I don't know, six or seven years ago in Dallas. And uh, Thomas Long was telling a story about a church he knew in Georgia. I think it was Georgia. And uh, this church was really committed to reconciliation. This church... The whole church was all about tearing down walls, breaking down barriers, all that, right? And this church every year had this huge Christmas pageant. And everybody in their church had some kind of a role with that pageant. So lights, stage, costumes, um, you know, the band, the uh, choir, Joseph, Mary, uh, shepherds, wise men. Everybody in the church played some role in the play because they wanted everybody in their church to feel like they belonged. And to feel like they had a part. And the whole town turned out for this big Christmas pageant every year. Well, one year the church asked a man experiencing homelessness if he would play the role of the innkeeper. This guy had been coming to their church for several months. They wanted him to feel like he was a part. They wanted him to feel like he belonged. Would you play the part of the innkeeper? So yes, okay, I'll play the part of the innkeeper. So the night of the play, man, the house is packed. And when it comes time, Joseph and Mary walk down the center aisle of this jam-packed sanctuary, and they walk right up the steps, they walk right up to the innkeeper, and Joseph says, good evening, I am Joseph, this is my wife Mary, we're from Nazareth of Galilee, we're seeking lodging for the night. And the innkeeper said, yeah, sure, come on in. <laughs> well, that's not the line. And so Joseph and Mary look at each other, and they say it again. We are Joseph and Mary from Nazareth of Galilee, and we are seeking lodging for the night. And the innkeeper said, yeah, I know. Come on in. <laughs> See, when you make a homeless man the innkeeper, he's going to make sure everybody gets a room. There was a teenage girl in that congregation who had Down syndrome. 
Her name is Julie. They asked Julie if she would sing in the choir because they wanted her to feel apart. They wanted her to know that she belonged in their church family. So the choir's up in the balcony. And Julie's up there with the choir. And when Jesus is born during the Christmas pageant, all the choir breaks out into a magnificent song. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. There's that word again. And Julie is singing with everything she's got. And everybody in the church can hear Julie singing because she's loud and she's giving it everything. And when that song ends with its magnificent, loud, long note, and then it's over, everybody in the church heard Julie say, wow, I had no idea I could be an angel. <laughs> we need to be that church. We need to be that people. We're in Act 5, church. All of us are on stage. Stand with me, please. From Galatians chapter 3. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither... Y'all better get up here. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. 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 Amen.